And I'd like to start tonight just by saying thank you to all of you who are here tonight. You know, this is uh, one of those um, times in the life of our church that kind of marks time. Uh, we live our life together as the body of Christ. And, and at least for me, there are certain things that tell me there's another year has come and another year is going. And uh, I couldn't think of a better place to be on Good Friday evening than here with you. And uh, I want to thank the worship team for their efforts in helping us to, uh, to be able to enter the presence of God and those who hide up in the cave there and work behind the scenes and putting our slides up there for us. And, uh, and Jim, just for a really fine message, uh, I just want to say thank you. To all of you for that. Uh, Would you pray with me, please? Father, um, we heard tonight how uh, you had a plan. Indeed, we know that plan was uh, written before the world was created that Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the very foundation of the world. Uh, You knew what would happen in that garden, and you knew that we would be lost and undone, and there would be no help for us, no hope for us, unless you provided it. And you did. Sacrifice and the Garden of Eden after that first sin, a picture of a Passover lamb in Exodus, the remembrance year after year in Israel, and then finally the coming of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's my prayer that as we're gathered here tonight and we remember that day almost 2,000 years ago now, that you would make your presence felt, that we would taste once again and know that you are good, that you would speak to us through your word tonight, and that you would allow me to disappear behind that most wonderful cross of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. So all around uh, the world today, people have been observing Good Friday. Of course, some people pay no attention to this day, and if they note it at all, they wonder what all the fuss is about and maybe even think it's just a little bit morbid. And for some, it's only a day off from work or classes or the routines of life. And then there are those, uh, sad to say, who have reduced it to a time of mere formula and ritual which can be carried off while their mind wanders in other places. But there are yet in our day, in spite of what the world tells you and the devil wants to hide from you, and our numbers are increasing, there are still those who remember this day with a sense of both awe and wonder. We call it Good Friday 
the day on which Jesus died. And outsiders wonder just what we see in that day, which is good when the leader of our faith, the author and finisher of that faith, was put to death on a cross, a a Roman instrument of torture. Yet in awe and wonder we uh, see both that uh, most terrible and most wonderful of days For on that day, Jesus died in our place. He took our sins away. Tonight, for my time in our service together, I want to consider the four words spoken in darkness. Now, what we mean here by word is not simply a single word, but a message like we've heard a thousand times in our life watching television and now a word from our sponsor which, of course, is not just one word, although in that situation we might wish it were, but a message from the sponsor. And so Jesus spoke seven different messages on that day, on that Good Friday from the cross, and three of those messages were spoken in the light, and four were spoken in the darkness. Four words spoken in the darkness. That first Good Friday was a day like no other. There was a highly irregular and illegal trial by the Jewish uh, religious leaders, and it was held to carry out their plan to rid themselves of the one who threatened their status. And they condemned that man that day for claiming to be the Son of God, and yet he had demonstrated that that was true with power. The Roman government, which prided itself on a just legal system, condemned to death a man through their representative Pontius Pilate, one which it knew to be innocent, all in order to please those religious leaders. And yet in so doing, they were made the scapegoats by those same leaders. A murderer was released to the crowd while the only completely innocent man to ever live was condemned to die. A man who was hailed uh, by all of the populace just five short days before as the son of David and the coming king and who had gone about doing nothing but good and teaching the truth of God. A small crowd lined the route uh, that day to the place of the skull, Golgotha, in their language, to watch that man as he carried his own cross until he stumbled under the load and could go no further unaided. And so another was chosen uh, out of the crowd by the soldiers and made to help him. And up that hill they walked, then the stripping away of the clothes, which were gambled away. The nails driven through the flesh and into the wood. He was crucified, all of which others had endured, the stripping and the nails and the crucifixion. But they in some measure deserved it. This man had done nothing wrong. By nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus was hanging on that cross. And for three hours, it seemed to be an execution pretty much like any other. But then something happens that no one can explain. Mark tells us in chapter 15 and verse 33, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Now there's some disagreement over what's meant by the term 
the whole land. Some think it was just the land of Judea and others think that uh, it was probably the entire Roman Empire and still others think that it meant the entire earth was in darkness. There's testimony uh, uh, to that darkness in Egypt. Dionysus, an Arapagite, who was then a heathen and an unbeliever, he saw it and he said this, either the divine being suffers or suffers with him that suffers or the frame of our world is dissolving. The church fathers cite the records of Rome which took note of that same darkness. And the prophet Amos tells us of a day, a darkness that will come over the entire world and that very well may have been that day of darkness. You know, it's clear that it was no simple or mere eclipse of the sun for it lasted for three hours and it was noted in different parts of the world. As unnatural as it was, the writers don't elaborate on it. The mere statement of fact is made that there, there was darkness over the whole land. And they leave to our imagination the thoughts, the feelings, and the fears of those who were in that darkness. And yet, the very next words spoken by Christ in the darkness tell us what it meant. Mark uh, chapter 34, and I mean verse 34 of 15 says, And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sambachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At noon, when the world is normally at its brightest, the Father in heaven turned his back on his Son. And from 9 to 12, Jesus endured the cross as others had. But at noon, Jesus experienced something that he had never known before. What we need never know ourselves because Jesus went through it for us. The utter abandonment by God. If hell is best defined as a place where God is not, then Jesus knew its torments as he hung there on that cross in that darkness. For three hours, the infinite Son experienced the infinite loss of the infinite Father, and our minds are boggled, but our sin is paid for. Three hours he endured, and then he cried out, My God, my God! In the anguish of his soul, he cries, but it's to his God that he turns. And that question, why have you forsaken me, does not indicate ignorance on his part. Jesus knew why. In the garden he had wrestled, he won the victory, choosing the Father's will over his human desires and fears. He asked the question not because he needed to know, but so that we could answer, so that we could say, for our sins you were abandoned, so that we could testify that Christ died for me. As Peter tells us, uh, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Or as Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the darkness, the word 
was spoken, telling of that transaction when Christ was abandoned by the Father. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was yet another word spoken in that darkness, and it's not found in Mark. John records us for us in his gospel in the 19th chapter. Jesus says this, I am thirsty. You know, the Son of God hung on that cross, but these words remind us that he was also the Son of Man. He had endured all that he endured in quietness. Each time he had spoken earlier in the light, when the sun was still shining, he spoke for the sake of others. But now he tells us of his thirst. But why? Certainly it was real. It was a real thirst experienced by a real man, and we need to know that. Then I can't help but wonder if there wasn't another reason that he told of his thirst. So he could get a drink so that he also might be heard when he spoke the next words that he spoke when he lifted his voice, that when he spoke his final two words, that they would ring out on that barren hill. For he spoke twice again in that darkness. Luke tells us of Jesus' words spoken after that drink. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The end was upon him, but still he trusted. He had called out to his God. He now prays to his Father. His faith had never wavered, and he was ready to go home. To his Father, he committed his spirit, and we... We take heart in that trust. And without it, we would have been undone. But he trusted all his life long. He trusted all the way through that abandonment for through those three dark hours. He trusted all the way to the moment of his death. He trusted. He trusts praying to the Father, committing his spirit to him. But before his eyes assume that unseeing stare of the departed he had one more word to speak John tells us that word again in the 19th chapter of his gospel Jesus said it is finished and with that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit now, John was an eyewitness to all that happened that day. He stood right there. He saw everything that happened that day. He saw Jesus bow his head. He knew that he gave up his spirit. One commentator observed that the resting place for his head that he did not find on earth, he found on the cross. He could never rest before, not really rest, because his work was not yet complete. But now he can bow his head because he has fully accomplished all that he had been sent to do. We know that because Jesus himself tells us in his final word. One word this time, actually, in the Greek or the Aramaic, the telestai. We translate it, it is finished. That's a key word in the Gospel of John. It is finished. A drink taken 
at the end so that it might clearly be heard. It is finished. The work of Jesus is finished. The agony of the separation from the Father, it is finished. His death, it is finished. The payment, the full payment of all, of all, of all of our sins. It is finished. The long estrangement between God and man, it is finished. And none of that because of some good thing that we have done, but all of it because of that selfless, loving act of Jesus on the cross who was willing to bow his head and give up his spirit. You know, as Jesus lived like no other man, so he died like no other. You know, Matthew and Mark both tell us that he gave up his spirit. And really, the idea is there he, is that he dismissed his spirit. It's for us, death comes at the appointed time. For not one minute too soon, not one minute too late. If we understand the scriptures right, it comes at just the right time, but we don't make that choice. It's not in our power to do so. But Jesus was never under the circumstances. He always freely was choosing the Father's will, even the moment of his death. As he said a few weeks earlier in his life, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And this command I received from my Father. Seven words spoken from the cross. Each one of them is more precious than all the words of all other men spoken since the dawn of time. Three of them spoken in the light. Four of them spoken in the darkness. And yet those spoken in the darkness bring light. They bring hope and comfort and encouragement. They mean life to us. They tell of one who could do what no one else could do. They tell of one who could endure what no one else could endure. They tell of one who, though a man, was also God the Son, dwelling throughout all eternity in perfect harmony with God the Father, except for three hours of darkness on the first of all Good Fridays, when our sins were taken away. Would you pray with me, please? Father, um, one of the things that sometimes we don't talk about, but which is true, nonetheless, that Jesus never did anything except what he saw you do. And as he chose to hang there on that cross, so you chose to let him hang there. 
as he took the sins of the world upon himself, so you chose that he should do so. When he suffered what he did during those three dark hours, you too suffered for you loved your son. And all of that, every bit of it, was for us. Words, thank you. Don't say enough. But they're a beginning. Thank you, gracious God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.